0: And so grateful for the opportunity to go through this series on Advent. Uh, I grew up in a, a tradition in church that did not include Advent, and so it's been really uh, enjoyable for me over the last few years here at Coastal uh, to get to use that particular feature of a celebration of Christmas. And so we've talked about hope and peace and so on and joy, and today I get the opportunity to talk to you about love. Uh, Pastor Andrew called me, Pastor Andrew Oates, about a week and a half ago and said as he'd been praying and just seeking God's face, he was on the docket, I think, to preach today. And he said, I really would like you to come and preach and talk a little bit about Hampton. So I have uh, the opportunity, as Pastor Sean said, my name is David Wilson. I have the opportunity currently at Coastal to be the lead pastor at our Hampton campus. Uh, I spent about four years, four and a half years, I guess, or so up uh, in Gloucester as Coastal established our first campus. And uh, you know what's going on at Gloucester. God is blessing in an amazing way up there. And uh, so Pastor Nate has just taken the, the reins and just run with it. And God is doing great, great things up there. We went sensing this almost sense of it's about ready to explode up here, in a good way, (laughs) and uh, God took us to Hampton. If you recall, in Hampton, at the first, uh, at the meetings when they were talking to us, this is a church that had dwindled in numbers and so on, and uh, they, when they voted to have Coastal adopt them, I think there were 12 people in that meeting at that vote from Hampton Roads Baptist Church people with a heart for the kingdom of God who were did not want to see their church just die and wanted to see God do something new and fresh in Hampton. We went down there together and began meeting. I started preaching there the first of January of this year. We had 25 people our first two weeks. Now, you you can imagine that that's a little something to deal with, right? We went from the excitement of what God was doing at Gloucester and now 25 people in the building. No children's ministry. Uh, when, when the uh, former pastor, the interim pastor, had talked to me, walked me through the building last year, he said, "This, we've redone the whole children's area because it was really, really bad. He said, I don't remember the last time we've had kids in here. And uh, so I told the people, in what I thought was an expression of my faith, By Christmas Eve this year, I want to see, by the grace of God, a hundred people in this building. Well, I'm happy to tell you that since the first of October, we've been averaging 90. Last Sunday, we had 99 people at church. So God is is on the move in Hampton. We are reaching people in our community. We've had a hundred visitors at our Hampton campus this year. Many of them from right in that local community. It's been really, really precious to watch God do that. We have... Uh, leadership development going on at all of our campuses, but fresh and new uh, at Hampton. I intend to install our first four deacons there uh, in February. We're starting our next round. God is blessing at Hampton. We had no kids. There hadn't been kids in there in years. We started children's ministry in March. Marcus uh, Devon, our family pastor, got that underway. And uh, last Sunday, we had 19 kids. We're averaging 15 to 20 kids every Sunday. Because young families are coming and lives are being changed with the gospel. Now, I want you to know, Pastor Sean said, listen, I want you to brag on your campus, which is really easy. My staff and our our volunteers are incredible, just like they are across coastal. We know we can't function without our volunteers. We have a lot of our volunteers who are going two and three weeks at a time. And we only have one service, so they don't get to serve and then go to church. They have to watch it. On TV. (laughs) They have to watch the video later, but they're so committed to what God is doing that they're serving faithfully. There are some people who you know who were friends who attended worship here with you in Yorktown who are now committed to the Hampton campus. Two families I know that drive from the Yorktown area to Hampton every week, and they are there long term because they believe in the vision God has given coastal of putting gospel outposts in communities all across Hampton Roads. We don't know what God has in store, but I know this, it's bigger than what we can envision right now. And it all stems from our desire to be in a community, to love our communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to watch people's lives be changed. Now, having said that, I get the opportunity today to talk about Really, two passages of scripture that <laughs> they're the easiest passages of scripture to preach in the world, right? First John chapter 4, if you want to find your way there, grab your, your bulletin, take that out, and, uh, and uh, take some notes as you go. And John 3 16 and 17. When Pastor Andrews said, Can you get that sermon together? I said, If I can't get that sermon together, I'm in the wrong business. And yet it's sometimes the hardest kind of passage to preach, right? Because if you've been around the family a while, you can quote John 3.16. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can probably quote parts of John 3.16. It's the most familiar verse in the Bible. Our focus today is on love. The love that God sent to us. It's why we're doing what we're doing at Coastal. If we didn't believe God loved the world, it just wouldn't be worth all the time and effort. But God loves us, so we should love. If you want the take home right now and you need a little bit of a nap because you got up earlier than you wanted to today, that's the big take home. God loves us so much, therefore we should love. Love, But we're going to talk a little more than that about it. If you would join me, please, in 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to begin with the universal significance of love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Fascinating statement. Love is derived from God. You notice the text doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. That's a definitive word. If you want to know how to define the word love you look at God you see what God is like and that's how you define love it's he's the source of it right he is the one from whom love's come we would not know what love is if God didn't reveal to us his nature his character what love is he's been in an eternal loving relationship amongst the members of the trinity God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So, when you think about Christmas, and you think about the fact that he sent Jesus here, I want you to remember, God didn't send Jesus here to save us because he needed friends. He calls us his friends, but he didn't need friends. God was complete in himself, had a loving relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all of eternity. He loved us because there is something about the nature of love that drove God to function in a certain way. Because God defines love. He isn't just loving, he is love. So that means he loves not because he finds objects worthy of his love, but rather because it's his nature to love. His love for us depends not on what we are, but what he is. He loves us because that's just who he is. It also means we don't get to define or redefine love to fit our preferences. God defines what love is. Now it has certain characteristics. There are certain observable characteristics. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love is is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't put itself forward. All those descriptive things that as husbands and wives we read through that passage and we think to ourselves, I am sunk. I can't do that. Because that's what love is. And God defines it for us. It's not that warm feeling in the pit of your stomach. That might be the tacos from last evening. (laughs) Love doesn't happen to you. Love isn't something that just comes out of the blue and knocks you over. Love is more decision than it is a collision. Love is more devotion than it is emotion. Sure, there are emotions connected to love. But love is a decision to do something for someone else. How do we know that? How do we know that at its root, love is action? Well, because the text tells us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want you to think about the sacrificial nature of love. Love is action, and love always includes sacrifice. God's love is made plain because he sent his own son as an envoy, as a special messenger. In fact, the word used for sent is the one we get the word for the apostles from. People sent with a message. He sent his son to be the the image of who he is. God the son came and took on flesh. I was reading just this week, uh, uh, that verse about from from, from uh, John 1 14 that says uh, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. I think the Message magazine or Message, <laughs> the Message translation, calls it God. Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I like that. Jesus came here to demonstrate both the manner and the extent to which God loves us. He loved us by giving, that's the nature of it. And he loved us by sending his son. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, there are a couple of pictures coming. It's been a while since I preached here, and I thought I might update you that I am now a grandpa. That's my first grandson, Parker. He's about three, a little over than three years old. And then this one is Jack who was born just back in uh, October. I know everybody thinks their grandchildren are the cutest, but come on. (laughs) I love those boys. I would give my life for them. I would stand physically between them and danger. You would do the same for your children or your grandchildren, right? But I got to tell you, I got love for y'all, but I would not give them for you. I would not put them in harm's way to protect you. I might consider doing it myself, but I would not give them. The love of God is demonstrated that he sent his own son to stand in harm's way for you. That's the extent and the manner in which God loved you. It is sacrificial. God sent his own son. Secondly, he satisfied his own wrath. That word in verse 10, God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Theological words can be just a whisker intimidating now and then, but... This one really is, it just means satisfaction. See, God is love. God is also holy, and he is both things all the time, and he cannot tolerate sin. He's holy, so he can't tolerate sin. He's loving, so he does something about that problem. Love isn't shown by the fact that we love God, right? That's the thing, this... Love isn't shown, but not that we love God, he says, which it makes sense, right? After all that God has done, all the good things that God has given to me, all the ways in which God has blessed my life, of course I'm going to love God. Why wouldn't I? That doesn't prove love. What proves love is that God loved me. Because God didn't just send his son to stand in harm's way for people that cared about him and wanted to have a relationship with him. Oh, no. We were... Sinners, we were his enemies, according to Romans chapter 5. God appeased his own wrath. To see what love means, we have to see ourselves as sinners, and thus as the objects of God's wrath, and yet as those for whom Christ died. None of our words or thoughts can do justice to the free, astonishing love of a holy God towards sinners who could not profit or harm him, whom he might justly crush in a moment, and whose deserving of his vengeance was shown in the method by which they were saved. He could have created other worlds with more perfect beings, had he seen fit. But the love of God is made manifest, is made plain in its clearest display in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lots of people wanted to follow Jesus. I mean thousands, right? Sometimes thousands at a pop. Every time he showed up, people showed up. They loved the free meals. They loved the the miracles. All that stuff was awesome. They loved what Jesus would do for them. But where were they all at the very end when he was giving his life? There was a handful. Because everybody loves the show. Not very many like the sacrifice. And love is sacrificial in its nature. It's what love is, because God defines it for us. He is love. It's how he loved us. But we're not done, because you know, right, that if, if God had decided he loved us and sent Jesus to pay for the penalty for our sins, all that would do is make us neutral, right? Now we would be back where Adam and Eve were. No sin yet. The sin's taken care of, but we're still not righteous, because... Now what? 1 John 4 and verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So, if he sent him so that we might live, what does that mean about us prior to being introduced to Jesus? It means we're dead, right? And the Bible confirms that. Ephesians chapter 5, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually, we are dead. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came. The eternal purpose of love was that we might live through him. Sure, live now and live life abundantly according to the Gospel of John in chapter 10. But live eternally. Live forever with God. So the eternal purpose of love was that we could live through Jesus, but also and perhaps more importantly, to get things in the right order so that we could be saved through Jesus. You know the verse, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might die be saved through him. What was the mission statement, the life purpose of Jesus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10? I am come to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save us when we were lost. That was the reason. It was the eternal purpose of love. I saw a... Uh, A meme one time, it's been a couple of years now, but it really stuck with me. Someone trying to mock Christianity with a picture of Jesus. And it said, I love you so much that if you don't believe in me, I'll send you to hell. And it hurt my heart because they so misunderstood the gospel. See, John 3, 18 indicates to us we're already condemned. Jesus didn't come here to condemn that's all. That ship has already sailed. We already all stand there or stood there. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Because he hasn't believed. We don't, we don't get condemned by not believing. We are already condemned. And Jesus came... To save us from that. Can I, can I share with you the gospel again? I know if you're here and, and you're a believer, and you've heard this 150 times or maybe more. If you've come to Coastal very long, you've heard it that many times recently. And if you're not here uh, because you're a regular part of Coastal or you're listening to us and you haven't yet come to a place of trust and repentance and faith, let me, let me give you the story of Christmas. It's not just about the baby. That's that's kind of into the middle of the story. Because from eternity past, the Lamb of God was slain. Before the foundation of the world, this was all set up and arranged. God wasn't taken back once once people were here and thought, oh, now what am I going to do? This was always the plan. Jesus, God... In the flesh, Emmanuel, right? God with us, moved into our neighborhood. Came here and lived a perfect life. See, the problem with us is when we come to the issue of salvation, we all want to think, well, hopefully my good is going to outweigh my bad. Can I tell you, even if it does, which let's be honest, probably doesn't, but even if it does, how good is good enough? Is 55% good, 45% bad? Is that good? Oh, surely not. How about 70 or 75%? I mean, that's got to be, is that average in school nowadays? What's a C? I don't know. How about 85 or 90%? I mean, that's really good, right? I mean, we're talking Mother Teresa good there, maybe. Or Pastor Sean. No, maybe not. I don't know. What is good enough? Well, what did Romans 3.23 said? I said it a minute ago. We all fall short of the glory of God. Absolute 100 perfections. So somebody's sitting there thinking, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, everybody's done something wrong. Nobody's perfect. That's the point of the gospel. Nobody's perfect. We are all short of what we need to have to get into heaven. So Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Never sinned. I know if you've got little ones, you're wondering, how did he get through the terrible twos? <laughs> He never sinned, perfectly righteous, obeyed the law in every respect from the Old Testament. Perfect. And then, because he didn't fit into the religious scheme and what they were expecting, they convinced the people that this wasn't the guy. And so, they brought him before Pilate and And the story of Easter and the resurrection, right? The story of Easter is Jesus came and though he was perfect, though he was love, God come in the flesh, man said, we don't want him. We don't want that. So we killed him. I mean, we pin it on the Romans, but if we were in that crowd, we'd have said the same thing. Because... After a while, the miracles become common and the the feedings only affect who's sitting right there. And it wasn't enough. And so Jesus died and he paid the penalty for sin. And then he was buried in the tomb. And on day three, he actually came back to life again and walked out of the tomb alive. Amen. Even at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? how do I get that? See, what happens when you trust in Jesus, when you come to the point of faith in Christ, you repent of your sin. You believe in the gospel that God the Son came, lived the perfect life. He could never live. He died on the cross. He was buried, and he came back to life again, literally. You believe that, and you receive Christ. You come to God and say, oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot get to heaven on my own. I get that. But I thank you for sending Jesus to live, die, and come back to life again for me. I now repent of my sin, and I believe in Jesus, and I receive him as my Savior. That's what you do. And in that instant, a transaction happens. All that sin that's on the debit column of your life, God applies it. To Jesus on the cross. And all of that righteousness of Christ gets applied to the credit column of your life. And now God can say, I declare that person to be righteous because he's in my son. Incredible, right? Incredible. That's the purpose of love, to save lost people like me and like you. We were lost, now we're found. What did the the person say? Once I was blind, now I can see. I don't know what else to say about Jesus, but I know this. I couldn't see, now I can. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. Glory to God. One more thing, the inevitable result of love. God defines it. He displays it. He enables us to uh, see the purpose behind it. And there is an inevitable result. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If God loved us in that kind of manner, if the way he loved us was by giving, by sacrificing his own son, if that's the way God loved us, if the extent of God's love took the perfect son of God and put him through everything he endured here on earth, Hung on the cross, suffering to pay for my sin, paying a debt I could never pay by paying a debt he didn't owe. If God loved me that way, I ought to love others. Right? It shouldn't feel like an obligation, though the word ought certainly carries with it a sense of obligation. It shouldn't feel that way, right? I mean, when I consider the sacrifice of God for Christmas, for us, so much of it is bells and bows and presents and singing and joy and celebration and laughter. For God, it was the sacrifice of his son. So love is determined. If God loved us that way, we ought to love each other. And love is demonstrative. I'm going on to verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Nobody has seen God, but if we love each other, they see what God is like. By this, Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Christmas is about the love of God being displayed on our behalf. Christmas is about sacrifice. I would like to close by giving you a few things to think about. If you're here or you're listening to us this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, I plead with you to trust in Jesus today. Repent of your sin. Believe in the gospel. Receive Christ. Contact us through the app. Contact us uh, through, through our website. Let us know. If you're here this morning, that Connect card probably has on it somewhere, I'm interested in accepting a relationship with Jesus. Man, if you don't want to leave before you take care of that, I think there are going to be people down here under the screens. You can stop at our prayer chapel on the way out today. Talk to somebody. Don't get yourself into the trap of thinking, oh, I'll take care of that later. God loved you sufficiently that he was willing to send his son to stand in harm's way for you. Trust in Jesus. Secondly, invite somebody to Christmas Eve. Invite a friend. I know so many of you have been doing that. We've been handing out our invite cards. We've been calling our friends and saying, man, I'd really love to have you come. Like Pastor Sean said, man, we got nine to five. So I said to our our family at Hampton back in, uh, I think, January, February, in what I thought was a great act of faith, I'm believing God to give us 100 people at Christmas Eve next year. Which, given where we were at the time, seemed like, I mean, that was four times what we had. Well, we've already hit that. So now I've had to amend my request. And I've told them, I'm praying God will give us 150 this this Saturday. There haven't been 150 people in that building in years. Maybe a few of you would want to come and join us. That's just a thought. But invite a friend to Christmas Eve. They're going to hear about the center candle, the the Christ candle. Jesus as the light of the world. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those in the shadow of death, a light has shined. Jesus, the light of the world. We're going to talk about it at Christmas Eve. We're going to sing. We're going to hold a candle and Saying and visibly demonstrate the light of the world is Jesus. Give to the Christmas offering. Pastor Sean didn't ask me to say that. I'm just telling you the vision God has given us of planting gospel outposts around Hampton Roads, it costs money. For some of you, $500 would be a sacrificial gift to the Christmas offering. Listen, some of you know 5000 would be the number before it was a sacrifice for you. We always say, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And when we compare ourselves to God, have we sacrificed? I'm not. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just saying pray about what you can give to this Christmas offering. God is not done with coastal because God is not done expanding his kingdom. And then lastly, reach out to your neighbor. Find something to do this week to help build a relationship with your neighbor. I mean, sure, invite him to Christmas Eve, but... Man, go help them rake their leaves or whatever. Do something to help your neighbor invest in their life. Get involved in them. Build a relationship that will eventually give you an opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. The most important thing that you ever need to talk about them with. Man, God is good. God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Brothers, sisters, if God so loved us, we ought to love. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of opening familiar scriptures and walking through familiar territory today. Oh God, I pray that you would tenderize our hearts to the reality of Christmas, that for you it was about sacrificing your son to stand in harm's way for us. Oh God, I'm so grateful that you've called me to yourself and given me the privilege of being your son. And I know across this room right now, there are people in their hearts saying, thank you, God. Lord, I pray for the the one or more that might be sitting here or might be watching us uh, online right now or at some point uh, down the road this week who do not know Jesus, oh God, I pray that you would penetrate their heart with the gospel, that they would repent of their sin, believe in the gospel and receive Jesus. Oh Lord, we're so thankful for Christmas and what it means when we really think about it. Thank you for loving us so deeply. I pray, Lord, that we would respond by reflecting you, by helping other people see you because we love them. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.